The Gridiron Growl Podcast from Chap Talk with your host, David Soderquist and Michael Pepper. Welcome, everyone, to this debut episode of the Gridiron Growl. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist, along with lead writer from Chomp Talk, Michael Pfeffer. And I'm really excited for this debut episode of the Gridiron Growl podcast. We're, we're going to be talking to Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun, discussing a little bit of recruiting and where the 2020 season is right now with college football. We're also we're going to have none other than social media comedian and influencer Josh Prey. If you've known him from his funny videos, his viral videos on YouTube, uh, Really hilarious. Check him out on YouTube. Uh, then we will have interviewing bassist Mike Aloza from the band Felicity. The theme you just heard was from their album Brace Yourself, the theme at the beginning of this podcast. Check them out at We Are Felicity. We would also like to give a special shout out to the staff at the Tower Square UPS store in Gainesville for their sponsorship of ChompTalk.com. For all your printing and shipping needs, make sure to check out the UPS store in Tower Square. I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm pretty excited for these interviews today. You know, David, I'm very excited about this show. It's our first show, and uh, I have to admit, though, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. Why is that? Not because of the show, but, you know, a few years ago, I threw a boomerang, and now I live in constant fear. <laughs> oh, Mikey Pfeffer with the joke of the week. <laughs> so, you ready to jump into this thing or what, Mike? Uh, we're going to get Graham Hall on from the Gainesville Sun. And we're going to be, like I said, discussing recruiting in the year of 2020 as it's been a crazy roller coaster ride. Yeah, let's do it. All right, we have Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun on with us. Graham, you surviving this crazy year they call 2020? I am. You know, things change almost by the day. I, I kind of struggle sometimes to keep up with everything going on. Um, and then on the flip side, I'm, there's days where I'm reading too much and speculating too much. If you got me a week ago, guys, I, I would have been pretty pessimistic about even having a college football season. So the last week, I think, has been kind of a, a breath of fresh air that I can kind of see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel with all this craziness, even though we aren't out of this pandemic per se. But it's looking like we're going to get football, guys. So that's the good news. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of the pandemic, I – I was uh, talking to David earlier this week and we were discussing the different ways that the virus has actually impacted the way schools are recruiting. And I was wondering uh, what, if any, pandemic era recruiting tactics do you see becoming permanent fixtures? I think the ability to give prospects who can't really come to campus, and I'm talking out-of-state prospects, whether this virus continues to prevent people uh, coming to town for recruiting visits like that from far out of state, especially if they have a parent with an underlying health condition. For the parents to see what the campus is like, those virtual presentations, the ability to have a recruiting staff assistant walk through with a camera, show the weight room, talk to coaches virtually. Coaches are getting invaluable experience when it comes to recruiting virtually. I think that that is the first thing to note. I, I mean, they're used to doing it by phone, obviously, every single day. But really having to sell the program through that virtual means of communication, and that being your only method, really, I think has really kind of 
made a lot of coaches around the country refine their tactics when it comes to recruiting virtually and, and over the phone. So I imagine that that's only going to increase. Uh, you saw that the NCAA lifted some rules mandating the amount of texts and calls that coaches can have during the pandemic, that it's unlimited. I think that that rule will stay in place. I think that some of the renderings, the virtual campus, especially for the next two years as it pertains to the University of Florida, that's definitely going to stay around because you're talking a program that is trying to sell recruits right now on their new football facility that they're all going to be a part of, the standalone football facility that is going to be in place of where McKeithen Stadium is right now. That's, that's about to be torn down. I, I think that Florida will continue to use virtual means because, one, it benefits their program. Two, this virus, unfortunately, isn't going anywhere until we have a vaccine that is widely accepted and used. And three, even after that, it's going to be just more information that schools can provide parents, coaches, high school coaches, 7v7 coaches. That's not going to go away. This is a really a new resource that's been created and coaches have had to adapt. You know, the saying adapt or survive, that's been added to the saying recruit every day or die. So Florida's coaches and, and all power five coaches, every single division one coach is kind of have to adapt. is having to adapt right now. And I think that a lot of the changes they're making will stay around for the foreseeable future. I, I actually spoke to a parent of a recruit right now who's being recruited by Florida, and they went through the virtual experience, and they said that it was Florida's versus a couple of the other schools they said was much better. So that's good news for us. I think that, that that's something that, you know, we talk about planning ahead of time. Florida didn't obviously envision a pandemic coming in but what i was saying about the standalone facility florida was already prepared to do that when coaches and would, would meet with new prospects who are going to have the facility they were already showing renderings and models those things have already been created uh a virtual experience was already really created we saw a virtual one the local media um in the office with scott strickland about two years ago now um, so they really, I think, already had that available and just kind of were able to push that out to recruits. So absolutely, that doesn't surprise me. Um, just like their handling of the virus, we've said all along that Florida would be well, uh, better prepared than some of these other schools because of UF Health, Shands, the top sure. hospital in Florida. And, and I think that stays the same, too, with their ability to recruit virtually. Yeah. Excellent. And they're uh, they're letting kids opt out for a year, right? Correct. If they uh, want to opt out because of the virus, they can. And they're still giving them a year of eligibility. I'm assuming. And uh, obviously, it's every student athlete's dream to go to the NBA or the NFL draft. Uh, do you think that there's been a disagreement between some families and the kids about coming to campus and competing, and then wanting the, the parents wanting them to stay home, or do you think everything's just been mutual? Well, that that is a difficult. That's a good question. Um, one that we have to think speculate about i think that there are families obviously individuals with concerns like that that often we don't know about i think that the general public thinks about oh the athlete they're going to recover 18 to 22 well them playing also means probably that they can't go home during the season see mom and dad they, they shouldn't go out like everyone else shouldn't right now uh, without a mask and they shouldn't be around people that they know have comorbidities or, or in that susceptible group. I think that's one of the risks that, and the education pieces, I, I think, that college football athletes are coming to understand right now, that if they play, they're going to have to give up certain things that during the season are things that they rely on. 
family support. Your family's coming to the game. If, if dad has a, or mom has a health condition, are they going to be able to show up if you, if you can't promise and they are not socially distancing, who knows? Are you going to risk your football career on the other side of that? I think that it makes sense for all prospects who may be a first round pick like a CJ Henderson or his name escapes me right now, but the Virginia tech DB who's probably one of the first corners off the board. It makes sense for players like that to sit out. We don't know. This isn't, I'm not trying to politicize anything right now, but we don't know. I think the long-term health effects of the virus, that's what many scientists say. And I think that there are people who are on the cusp of making that multi-million dollar payday, realizing their NFL dreams so much to the point that they're almost assured can sit out that last season. Now, as, as to your question of whether people will be able to sit out, get that red shirt year, get that medical waiver, whatever you want to call it. I hope that the NCAA allows that as kind of just uh, their version of this um, one-time automatic transfer rule. I hope that they do the right thing and do that. Otherwise, if you do see this large amount of people that opt out of the NCAA season, they're going to be overloaded with case-by-case reviews. Why did why did the NCAA, why would the NCAA want to be this system that has to keep checking transfer reasons, medical reasons? I don't think that they really want that, nor do I think that anyone else wants them to do that. So I hope that if you choose to sit out and you cite COVID-19, similar to how they've asked for, I think, transfer reasons, if you just present your the reasoning of a parent or a family member I hope that it's an automatic process, but I still think that uh, I'm skeptical that we're fully there yet, although I really hope that's the case. Anyone who sits out should head straight, I think, to the pros or they're probably graduating. And and unfortunately, um, I don't see many people sitting out if it's their last year of football because so many prospects out there are not NFL guaranteed players. They are fighting for that spot. If it's not a spot in the draft, it's a spot in the training camp to stay in shape We've talked often, I think you guys can agree, one of the things that Florida itself and other institutions have touted is that they're going to monitor these athletes. I, I think that a lot of athletes are looking at it from, hey, look, they, I could be kept safe. I could be tested. I could be quarantined with people that are also being watched. That maybe is less anxiety for some people and for their families. So I can see flip two sides of it, but I think you are going to see a trend where a lot of people choose to sit out and they cite professional reasons but unfortunately we're we're in an era um this is a sport where so many people are fighting to realize that ultimate payday and realize their dreams that a lot of people are going to assume those risks um short term and possibly long term all right um so shifting away from from the covid response and everything right now um we've had some some good news in the last week as far as recruiting goes but it's, it's also kind of made me laugh as I'm reviewing Twitter and, and everybody posting their opinions on, on these things. It seems that our fan base, uh, they go up and down. You know, every time we get good news, they're really high. And, and if we miss out on somebody, it's, you know, the extreme opposite end of the spectrum there. But uh, so the fan base, they've been quite vocal about some of the perceived recruiting deficiencies uh, during the offseason. What has to change within the staff's approach to change that perception as well as to begin drawing more of the high value targets to the program? 
That's a good question. I think that it, it is a little more complex than, you know, like you said, 280 characters can really address it. Uh, you're, you're talking about a place that is prone to hot takes. And, and on, I think in many businesses, links and plugs like that for news. So I think that to assess Florida's recruiting efforts is, is obviously pretty complex. There is the glass half full, glass half empty argument. Absolutely. I, I think you look at the class ranked number 11 in 24-7 sports rankings i i think that that's certainly nothing to scoff at many people i think did get a little bit ahead of themselves got over eager when florida did start off on that top five track before some of these other programs unc texas a&m really caught up and and obviously look at what alabama's doing with with the amount of five stars that they're bringing to campus with just what 17 16 commitments i think that you look at that and thought that florida had to sustain that star ranking but when you look at the roster as we all have it makes a lot of sense that there's needs that just often aren't highly rated targets. We know that Florida needs offensive linemen. They needed a long snapper, which they did get with Rocco Underwood, the cousin of Tommy and Johnny Townsend. What can you imagine what that was like for him training with two of the best punters out there? He probably got a lot of good feedback. So obviously you look at people that coach Mullen wants for the program. I think that people who are ready to step in, fill the void, not going to be, just a, a five-star out there that they think that they could get. Obviously, you don't turn down five stars, but you understand the point I'm trying to make. I think that Florida has done a really good job at assessing their roster, what they need, and then bringing them to the program. Unfortunately, what they have done in the last few years is, is had to rebuild at some spots, offensive line, certainly one that comes to mind, linebacker recently. They just signed a really, really good linebacker class. But now that they have 15, what, 16 scholarship offensive linemen and some really good walk-ons like Mark Pitts I think that you look at the the roster and think that next year's class Florida can make a really good run because what they have to hit wide receiver defensive line linebacker cornerback again obviously these are positions that are very highly rated um, and then I think the third element is this has just been a very weird evaluation year I think that you could make an argument that when it comes to rankings and highly recruited prospects that it's been kind of an uneven year. There's been, I think disparity every single year between the various services, but with the amount of camps, the lack of, I think information, the lack of spring training, the lack of summer camps, how much little travel has happened, even though there's still camps happening with some of the elite prospects around the country, the chance to have one of those Justin field type prospects where someone really shows what they can do and rises up in that one year, I think has been kind of minimized. You're not seeing any prospects kind of break in in their final year. A lot of the lists in the top prospect list were already set, which means if I had to guess that in a few years here, we're going to look back here and say, how is so-and-so just a three-star? How are they unranked? Because so few camps in comparison to the recent years are happening. And so it's been so much harder to evaluate and on top of that, everyone's evaluating differently because there's less evaluations to go off. So I think that it's just a very peculiar year when it comes to ranking. So I wouldn't read too much. And if I, if I were trying to reassure a Florida fan or, or any fan of a team that is right outside the cusp of the top 10, I would reassure them and say that you don't know. I mean, Dan Mullen has often got up there on the podium. You guys know this and, and kind of said that message. Hey, I have my own rankings. We have our own big board. Um, I'm pretty happy with who we got. We think some of these players fall under the, you know, have gone under the radar and we're very happy with them. 
Jamarcus Weston comes to mind, a guy I think is going to have a big year. Trent Whittemore as well. Once Dan Mullen bought back in and saw what Trent Whittemore could do, I mean, that's a guy who could have an actually impact year here at Florida. I think that anyone, um, if they're a Florida fan and they've been listening to, to Dan Mullen by now, they know not to read too much into recruiting rankings. With that being said, they are going to have to keep trying to land some of those top targets. The Palmetto Five, which we've talked about, that's a big test for Dan Mullen because I think you could make the argument that in those in-state battles, Dan Mullen is kind of trailing some of his competitors right there with landing those in-state targets. Although landing Marcus Burke a few weeks ago is huge against against Georgia, and that's a huge one for Dan Mullen. So I think that there's still some work to be done with this class. They could get there um, into the top ten, especially with a guy like Leonard Taylor. If they can get him in, into the fold, although it looks like uh, Miami has done a lot of good work there, if they can get him uh, – then all of what I'm saying right now is kind of a moot point, um, but we'll see. I think you bring up a great point with the uh, evaluations and, and the camps as well, because as you were talking about that, I was reminded of the Elite 11 and how well Carlos Del Rio performed and still ended up not finishing in, in the uh, top of that class. And it was because they were basing 80% of the evaluation on junior <laughs> footage. Yeah. Yeah. Which you, you should go out and that, that's a perfect example. Um, you know, not to knock anyone who set that camp up. I just think that that's not really put, that's not putting as much stock in how much people have improved possibly over the last six months. That's kind of admitting that it doesn't matter the improvements they've made if they're being based off of what they did six, eight months ago. Uh, with that yeah. being said, you know, I think that you bring up a good point about Carl Real Wilson. People have, kind of I think put him on this pedestal now and when he has made flaws or or shown flaws they have kind of docked him harder for those than I think some of the other quarterbacks just my opinion I think he's one of the most coachable quarterbacks in this class that have come along and that have come along recently I think you could say Um, but he hasn't really had the chance to perform who knows what kind of senior season if he's even going to get one um, that he could have. And on top of that, uh, who knows how many more camps are going to be available for a guy like that. Will we get an Under Armour game? Will we get a Polynesian Bowl? No one knows what will happen with that or if any of those high school prospects will risk even doing that. So a guy like Carlos Del Rio Wilson couldn't have possibly, and this is not to, to knock them at all, he couldn't have had a, a rise, it seems, um, like he has had or like Anthony Richardson has had if unless he had been going to these camps that he has and, and continue to show because if they're just basing it off junior year film I think a lot of guys are at a disadvantage on the recruiting trail absolutely right I, I never got how the elite 11 did their evaluation I thought that was kind of silly if you ask me but uh I mean it's like I said with the virus going around and everything else like that it's really hard to get to these camps so that's why these rankings these recruiting rankings really haven't changed that much and uh you know, we, we could have somebody committed that's a three-star that's supposed to be a four-star or could have been a four-star by now or things of that nature. And, and who knows, even when the season starts and, the you know, you got the virus and everything else, you, you, you have to worry about not just injuries, but you have to worry about, okay, well, what if somebody comes down with the virus? That's basically like them getting injured and then you're without them for, what, 14 days? You got to quarantine for 14 days. So, uh, you know, the, the, in, the injuries are going to play a big part as well as if anybody gets infected. I mean, that it's, it's going to, it's going to take away from the team. And speaking of injuries, uh, 
Elijah Conliffe came down with an injury, unfortunately, for the year. Uh, who do you think steps up or will have to step up in his spot? Yeah, a difficult situation for Elijah because a, a guy that had so much promise, very, very good guy as well, never you know had a chance to really recover. And then with the offseason, the way it shaped out, and when Florida restarted workouts, uh, you know, just way too difficult, unfortunately. Um, you look at the interior of that line, I think that having TJ Slayton uh, back, obviously, absolutely huge, I think, for Florida. I, I think that um, you, you look at Kyrie Campbell, um, what he did at Florida, I, I think that Tadaryl Slayton learned a lot from him um, last year. If he can step up in his place, uh, whew, you know, there were some people who had him pegged as possibly, a you know, an NFL draft pick. I, I think that the way that he played, what, the last six, seven games of the year, uh, it makes me think that um, he absolutely can. That's a guy that learned behind him. Um, but aside from that, I think that you guys kind of hit an elephant in the room. There is someone that needs to step up uh, for Florida. When I spoke to Desmond Watson a few days ago, that's kind of how they're they're selling it to to uh, guys like him. Um, they're selling it as, you know, they really kind of have a void in the middle at, at nose tackle. Uh, they need a guy to come in and uh, a big body to come in um, and fill that void in the middle. But I think the one who's most able to step up in the middle, and this is someone who, if you had told me uh, last year that they would step up I, I at, at nose tackle potentially, I would have kind of scoffed, but this is how big they've gotten. I think it's Zach Carter, um, you know, more kind of a strong side guy, but yeah, six foot four, close to six foot five, uh, around 250 pounds. I mean, that's a guy that wowed us last spring, I think would have wowed us this spring. If they can have him step up and get someone um, like Brenton Cox next to him to, to fill the role that he was filling, I think that this Florida defensive line could be just as good as it was last year. And, and I know that's kind of not kind of blasphemous to say, considering the impact that guys like Jabari um, and John Grenard were, were able to have, even though they both were injured. Um, the other name, obviously, that I think comes to mind that many people are, are looking to see something out of uh, is Jalen Humphreys. Uh, he only played one game last year uh, due to due to being injured. I, you know, arrived at Florida injured, um, worked his way into shape, and, and now I think your concern for a guy like that is being off the field for so long, not having a spring camp. Um, how much has he retained? How good of shape is he in? That's something that Florida will find out in the next couple of weeks. But someone who's a four-star recruit, I, I think that you could expect um, him to step up. Um, then obviously I think that you, you think about the new guys uh, coming in, Gervon Dexter, um, obviously, uh, and then Jalen Lee. If, if they can get anything out of those guys, um, and obviously Lamar Goods as well, they can get anything out of those guys, uh, I, I think that you would be really impressed they recruited them the same way they recruited Desmond Watson by saying that there's a hole in the middle that, that they can fill. Um, so I think that with, with Elijah leaving the hole that's there, you're going to look for guys like Zach Carter to step in. Uh, but I would not be surprised if you had one of those freshmen like Gervon Dexter. Uh, I mean, talk about one of the biggest signees in the Dan Mullen era. If they can get him to step up um, and play as a freshman. Um, wow. You got to be really impressed with that. Right, uh, Gervon Dexter, the number one defensive tackle. Yeah, he's number one, and I believe he was like the sixth overall, sixth overall player on twenty four seven Sports. Yeah, kind of a guy who also um, adds evidence to the argument we were making a little bit earlier. A guy that Florida got in on very, very early. I think 
based on where he ended up. And then the way he performed at camps, competed, was really hungry. I think at the disrespect, and I hope I'm not getting it wrong here, that, that rivals were showing him. Um, oh, he was he rose so high. Yeah, he was really upset about that. You remember? I mean, he was a guy who was he thought doing the work on the field and in camps to to become that top defensive tackle that he was really gunning for, uh, and and wasn't really kind of shown it until very very late in the process. You know, um, there were people who thought that Florida uh, would lose him at the very end to Georgia or another one of those programs, even possibly Alabama. That game in there really really late. But that's why you had to kind of credit, you know, Dan Mullen at the time and, and his coaching staff for taking a guy who was just a high-end three-star, low-end four-star um, by some sites when Florida got him to commit. And then he competed throughout the year. And in a normal year, he had a, like you said, meteoric rise. That That's not as possible right now, I think, for players. Um, and it's also why I think that people – maybe shouldn't freak out when someone is only a three-star, four-star, and it's still, what, two years away, a year and a half away from them signing, because you never know what could happen uh, if, if they're as hungry as a guy like Gervon was. <clears throat> you are speaking earlier of the importance of, you know, being able to get on the field, you know, through the training, through, through games and all of this, you know, for not only development, but even uh, in the situation of Conley, you know, recovery. Um, so with that said, I, I don't think that we can stress the importance enough of the fact that we finally look like we're actually going to have some football this, this season. Uh, but I do want to address the 10 game conference only schedule. Uh, what do you think that that does to Florida's chances of reaching the sec championship or, or even the college football playoff? Because they had a pretty light schedule, so to speak before this, now it's looking a little more daunting. So what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I, I would understand absolutely the grief that, you know, that Florida fans would want to give whoever gives them a much harder schedule than they really had. I, you know, we had talked often through the last year, I think you could say about this schedule and say that this was, a, you know, a not now but when opportunity for Dan Mullen and the Gators to pounce on this with – Florida State down, and really the biggest games on the schedule being LSU and Georgia, I think that many people uh, said that this was a great opportunity for Florida. So the thought of that possibly being subverted just because of the randomness and craziness that is 2020, I think makes a lot of people really understandably upset. With that being said, I, I think we do have to wait on a schedule. You know, I thought I saw that Herb Vincent said that the, one hasn't been made. Ross Dellinger, who reported – SI now about the initial scheduling model, how Florida could end up playing Texas A&M and Alabama kind of walked that back. Obviously Ross is one of the best in the business. I'm not, I'm not saying he's wrong in any sense, but he was just theorizing. I think that it is going to ultimately be, be, be based on strength of schedule and what the initial strength of schedule was. And I, I think that that could end up playing in Florida's favor. I, I don't want to get it ahead of myself are too optimistic, but if they are going to do it based on strength of schedule, I think that Florida could really have an argument. Um, I think that obviously if you're Greg Byrne, the, the Alabama AD and you're Scott Strickland, and you saw that report come out that you're both going to play each other and you're looking at how your States are handling the pandemic. And you're looking at here, 
roster and you're looking at your schedule before that meeting and saying, wait, 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 we, we don't do this unless it's December. It's the SEC championship. I think that you could definitely make an argument that those two coaches maybe said that they didn't really like that scheduling model. I'm just theorizing here. I think that it's going to be based on strength of schedule and that Florida won't have to play Alabama. I do think they could have to play Texas A&M, but can you imagine the uproar? Uh, One of those teams flying there, some players have already expressed privately and publicly like Ethan Pouncey did on his Twitter account, some hesitations about flying across state lines uh, when they're already not going to play their interstate rivals like FSU, Miami, or possibly could have that long awaited UCF bout that we've always wanted settled. Right. I don't know what I thought the we right were running from is. UCF. Yeah. That's, that's one side <laughs> of the argument um, is that uh, Florida has been ducking them. I guess that this furthers their argument, but you know, maybe they can agree on FSU with that right now. I think that we can all agree that I think traveling in state, is safer but the other side is that the sec can actually be in consistent communication with the athletic directors where they can be upfront and honest and if you had to really press me about what i think is one of the most important things right now about having football happen is i think that accountability for programs is the biggest one you know making sure that players are actually being tested, taken care of, uh, that they, if they are exposed to the virus, that they're actually being quarantined away from people, making sure that, you know, that there's a clear line of communication about what you should do. That seems to only be done through conferences. The NCAA, like I was saying earlier, has just way too much on their plate. And I think you need to credit the SEC's commissioners and SEC commissioner Greg Sankey and the 14 athletic directors for understanding that having streamlined communication where they all talk about a clear cut plan, clear cut plan and can't rely on, I guess, you know, this broad system here, that that's very smart. And I think they've made a lot more progress than some of the other conferences, uh, in my opinion, because they never really felt like they had to cancel football or that they had to jump the gun and shut everything down. I, I think that even though it got really close to the wire, the SEC was confident that something would get hammered out and they are still working on that. And hopefully after this weekend, we'll have a little bit even more clarity about uh, the 10 teams Florida will play in 2020. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have misconstrued the reason for the conference only schedule and, you know, I've seen a lot of arguments about distance and and my understanding has been this entire time is that what you're saying uh, it's more about being able to control the protocols that each university is, is handling involving this uh, virus rather than the amount of distance being traveled. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that is reflective of society. And, you know, I think that, you break it down and the, the program is and where the NCAA is at is pretty reflective of where America is at as a whole. And I don't mean to politicize anything. I think that we can all agree that there's been miscommunication, uh, difficulty communicating from various top organizations about how people should handle the pandemic. And if anything, it tells people that I think that they kind of have to take care of themselves and watch out for themselves 
that's kind of how I think a lot of programs feel. They, if they all want it to happen, they know that they have to, you know, take care of it themselves. They, they can't trust anyone else. They, they can't blame anyone else. If things go awry, they understand that this is up to them and um, balls in their court. And if there, anyone is going to be able to, to relate to them and make it even, I think that's the conference because one, obviously proximity, even though we always kind of like to you know, break up the, the, virus count by state i think that you can obviously look at regions and where people have traveled and that's how a lot of our conferences are laid out you can communicate effectively what's going on in our area if people are coming here you can that stuff is way more streamlined up front easy to get and then that that message gets distilled whatever you want to call it um distributed to the masses in a pretty clear fashion so that it's not broken up in this one long game of telephone. I think that that is uh, much more important if we are going to have fans to have this clear-cut, streamlined communication. If we're going to have fans at games, you need that. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. And, and I think you have to give kudos to uh, the conferences that realize that early on. Yeah, And there's talk of an 18, uh, 18 playoff. Yeah, you know, if that is one of these great repercussions, from this, you know, I am a fan of the 18 playoff. I, uh, although I do think it uh, maybe incentivizes. Um, it does. It takes away the incentive of uh, winning your conference championship because too often, you know, we're going to have the argument of the Georgia or the Alabama or the third team in the SEC that is right there on the cusp, maybe even at nine now, and that doesn't pick up that second loss sneaking in there, even though they didn't have to get beat up on one last time. I, I, I think that it's certainly going to increase that argument, but. I think that you guys are with me on this. We got to find ways to, to shut up people who keep saying, Oh, the fifth team should have been in, uh, or, you know, say another Houston or UCF goes 12 and Oh, and them claiming another fake national championship. I, I think that you have to avoid that or <laughs> I don't know. I, you don't really have to avoid it necessarily, but it'll just be a lot more fun to get what three more football games. I'm all for that. You know, I think that Florida fans can certainly relate to what 2012 when they were right outside on the outside, looking in how much they would have loved a 14 playoff that year um, to, to have the defense have a chance going uh, to the national championship. And Florida has also been ninth on the outside looking in. So I think that when you think about it, some teams peak late. Some teams lose really early. Give them an extra shot. We, we uh, after this pandemic, I think we're all going to realize, listen, just give us as many sports as we need. We, uh, we missed out on them for, what, six, seven months at least. Let's make it up to us and, and give us an 18 playoff and get it back. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I hear it. Well, well, Graham, thank you for joining us today. It's always been a pleasure to speak Gator you know, Gator football with you all the time. I call you the Gator guru, but of course, you know, buddy, he calls you the <laughs> minister of information. Uh, I appreciate it, man. You you guys can call me whatever you want as long as you call me. That is, that's all I ask. <laughs> as long as it's nothing negative, right? Hey, I, as long as it's what you honestly believe, that's what, how I feel. <laughs> I really appreciate you guys having me. We got to do this again. Congrats on the new podcast. It's a big deal. I'll be listening in. Hope you guys get some good guests. Uh, you do a good job. Good questions today. Thank you. We're, we're so happy to have you on and, and we look forward to doing it again.
Yeah. Me too. And I ho- I look forward to having a football season where we can talk about actual games rather than this will they, won't they, <laughs> will they be safe argument. I'm ready to actually talk football, guys. Yeah, I am too, man. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you, Graham. Awesome. You can find me at Twitter at Graham Hall underscore. Uh, you can find me at Gatorsports.com. We have a forum available. I'll be continuing to write there throughout the, the season. Always appreciate uh, everyone who reads and reaches out. Uh, and you can email me. My email's in my Twitter bio. You can find it there. Always looking forward to talking Gators with you guys and anyone who reaches out. This is a lot of fun, guys. We've got to do it again. Definitely. Thanks, Definitely. Graham. Thank you. Thanks, Graham. Thanks, y'all. Y'all take care. And that was Graham Hall for the Gainesville Sun. It's always a pleasure talking to Graham, and I feel like I could talk Gators football with Graham all day long, but we only have a certain amount of time left in this podcast, don't we, Mike? I thought that was a great interview. He had a lot of very uh, good points about recruiting and about the upcoming season um, and just the way everything's going in, in the midst of this pandemic. Um, that said, uh, I'd like to introduce our next guest who is uh, – He's very popular amongst Gator fans and and pretty much anybody who loves to laugh. So with that said, let's go ahead and welcome uh, Josh Prey. Doing good, man. Doing good. How are you? I'm absolutely wonderful. Can you guys see me? Yeah, I can see you. Good. I'm outside. We're outside. We're playing basketball. I'm playing basketball with my sons. I'm a little chubby. So... Y'all got an excuse to breathe hard for a moment. <laughs> it's all good, man. Uh, I just want to let you know before we start, my wife's a big fan of your videos too, man. She loves it. She's like, you're interviewing Josh? Can I ask a question? <laughs> uh, hey, listen, she can ask 12 questions because, you know, the female supporter is the most prominent supporter. They're the reason I am who I am because we follow the females and whatever they want to, you know, do. So shouts out to her. I absolutely love her more than I love you. <laughs> I'm gonna go to. I'm gonna let her hear that. Please let her know that. <laughs> so, Josh, you're obviously very popular across the whole social media world. A lot of your yes, videos sir. they go viral. They're hilarious too, by the way. Uh, Thank you. What influenced you to get in the social media world? Um, I was in the educational field for. I was in the educational field for a while. Um, I did it. I think it's very important. It just wasn't for me. Um, and I've been goofy my whole life and we've all had social media. Um, so I was like, you know what? Why post and be goofy and funny online for free when you can turn it into a career? Um, people always encourage me to, to seek out Hollywood. I'm not a Hollywood type. I'm really not, I'm really not a social media type, but, um, I, I put a couple videos online, had a couple comedy shows and took advantage of the situation. Uh, so knowing that you're a big Gator fan, like like we are, um, mm-hmm. go Gators, go Gators, uh, go Gators. I, I just was curious, what has been your favorite moment of the Dan Mullen era so far? Uh, favorite moment of the Dan Mullen era, aside from him coming off the plane doing the Gator Trump, realizing that he's a real Gator fan and not just a coach. Um, that is classic. <laughs> uh, put putting forty two points on Florida State last year. Um, he brought dominance back to the state. When everybody thought it was over, um, everybody's pretty uh, okay with sharing the title of Florida's best college football team. And Dan Mullen is putting his foot back down and saying, you know what? Not only are we going to beat every team, we are going to beat every team extremely bad to the point where their fans get angry at us. (laughs) Dan Mullen got a lot of Urban Meyer and a lot of Steve Spurrier in him. And I felt like over the last 10 years, we was missing that kind of coach. So that's probably my favorite moment, though. The thrashing we put on Florida State last year. I love it, man. Love it. You don't miss uh, the PB&J sandwiches from Jim McElwain? 
<laughs> Pretty cool, ain't it? That's me, ain't it? My dog play quarterback. No, no, I don't listen. I don't care if I never hear from Jim McElwain ever again in my life. That Jim McElwain and Treon Harris gave me nightmares. They um, they made me cry real tears of pain, like literal tears out my eyes. So, farewell to Jim McElwain and thank the Lord Himself for Dan Mullen. He's probably out at sea somewhere. <laughs> he took Nussmeyer with him too, so that's that's a plus. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and it's a thing, like, because we're Gator fans and we're so spoiled and we're arrogant, whoever we get, we feel like it's the best person for that situation. But Nussmeyer, like, I don't understand him, man. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, more positive questions. Uh, play action. Uh, so, obviously I said. <laughs> play action on third and seventeen. <laughs> Uh, so me and my wife, we're obviously I said we're a huge fan of your video. She's obviously a huge fan of your video. She wanted me to ask you this question. She said, "Do you think Carol Baskin whacked her husband?" Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. And she gangster for it. Listen, <laughs> I ain't saying she was right. I ain't saying murder is ever okay. What I am saying is for her to to, to chop him up, feed him the gators, get some money, fly on planes, and be out here living her best life. Like she need a biopic, man. Carol Baskin is, is up there with like. The, the, the cocaine cowboy queen, Griselda. Like, she's up there. Carol Baskins did it. I'm going to get a shirt they say Carol Baskins did it. And I'm going to wear it proudly. She did it. She did it. Oh, man. Uh, all those cool cats and kittens out there supporting her now. <laughs> and it's a Florida thing. Had to be a Florida thing. The whole documentary, man. Joe Exotic had to be some part of Florida. Golly, Florida man again. And Fl- Florida never upsets. But I'm uh, Go ahead. I was going to say, if you had told me uh, at the end of 2019 that in 2020 I would be uh, locked in my house wearing a mask <laughs> and, and watching some uh, redneck uh, <laughs> uh, who loves tigers, I, I would have never believed you. Listen, man, you got, are you from Florida? I am. I'm from West Palm Beach. Okay, okay, listen. I'm from Immokalee, Florida, right? I live in Naples. I'm from Immokalee, Florida. If you go to LaBelle, Florida, you could probably run into, like, 15 Joe Exotics. So, so it, it ain't that surprising. Um, but as far as being locked in a house and whatnot, yeah, that's a tough thing. Um, and I just found out um, we're not playing Florida State this year. They took them off the schedule for SEC-only schedule. So we, we probably got the hardest schedule in the country right now. Um I'm kind of stressed about that, but you know, I feel like that may be a better situation because now we can really, if we do well, if we play football, if football happens and we do well, the stakes will be higher if Florida State can get out the tough, uh, tough ACC. The stakes will be way higher. It's bragging rights and it's also like a playoff spot. So I kind of like what's going on in regards to college football right now. So with that said, with everything that's going on in the world, uh, you know, a lot of negativity right now. Extreme. A lot of people are scared right now, and, and they just yep. don't know what, what's going on. So with everything going on, how important are comedy and sports to the emotional well-being of, of our nation right now? I think I think in regards to any entertainment, um, I think is extremely important for, for the simple fact that Entertainment shows diversity. And granted, we can call it spade a spade. In Hollywood, it hasn't been a lot of diversity. But with the birth of the internet, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, which might go away by the end of the night, um, it shows diversity 
can be um, created. Um, you look at me on Facebook, I have like 3 million followers. And I'm going to say 65, 70% of my following on Facebook is Caucasian. Um, so I'm living proof that diversity happens, inclusiveness is out there. It's just you got to praise people's cultures and, and their adventures and, and um, what they like to do in a positive way. People often ask me, like, Josh, how do you do so many white videos and why can't you say it? A lot of white people ask me that. Why is it okay for you to say it and not okay for a white person to talk about black people? I tell everybody, you respond in a positive way. You don't see me nitpicking at Caucasian folks or Hispanic folks or Haitian folks. You see me praising our positive differences, but also being inclusive. I'm inviting people to come with me to a redneck barbecue or mutton or going to a quinceanera or going to a Haitian restaurant. Um, my entire being is to show inclusion. And I think right now, somebody like me is extremely important to what's going on because I kind of eliminate the racial divide when it comes to athletics, when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to music, when it comes to movies. I'm living proof that we can literally, like cliche as it may seem, we can all get along. Definitely. Yeah, we, we got more in common than we don't. Yeah, yes, ex exactly. And uh, you can't let a couple of bad apples just ruin it for everybody it's like it, there's a lot of people and a lot of negativity out there but mm -hmm. if if and especially right now with mm -hmm. everything that's going on and you don't want like 10 percent of the bad people taken up for all the 90 percent of the good people that are out there and, and, and it just sometimes it seems that those 10 percent has the loud have the loudest voices me i'm one of the bigger voices on social media and i can easily try to paint a narrative when I try to stray away from it. Of course, I got my own personal beliefs, opinions about things, but um, my religious belief, my political beliefs has nothing to do with, hey, Mike, do you like this pork rib sandwich or do you <laughs> like these collard greens? That has nothing to do with that. And yeah. I think the more the more people can find a median in, um, in everyday life, the better life will be. Right. There, there's always good in everybody. You just got to find it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that, that's that's the whole goal of this life. Life is just a gap. Make some friends in between it. Right, and obviously, as we all know, 2020 has been a crazy year with the virus. We got Now yes, we got murder hornets and uh, seeds from China. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've heard about the seeds from China yet. but What? Uh, the who from China? My, uh, my wife was telling me about some poisonous seeds from China or something like that now. It, it seems like it's something new every week. You have to look that yes, one up. Uh, Listen, I did a I did a video about the murder hornets. That's the size of my thumb. Um, I don't I don't even understand how a hornet can get that big. Like the hornet, the hornet was so big, I offered the hornet a condom. I just wanted it to be safe. Like I'm I'm, I'm dead serious. Like the hornet need to carry insurance, but um, nothing surprises me. Um, we got hurricanes, we got murder hornets, and like I said, the TikTok taking over. I woke up, they said TikTok gonna be closed down today. Um, so we got applications closing. Um, we got unemployment rates rising. Thank God. Thank God for podcasts like this. It's just oblivious entertainment because life can be so tough. Right. Damn, it, murder hornets. <laughs> and then it, it's like I said, 2020 has been crazy. What do you, what do you think is going to be next on the bingo card? Listen, so we in Florida, so we know a hurricane is coming. We don't know how big, we don't know what's going to start, but we know we know a hurricane is coming and um i'm just, i'm really just hoping a, a new type of human isn't created because i can only i'm already chubby i'm 35 i'm chubby you know i got weight on my face my beard is patchy if, if, if they come out and say you know what we've discovered a new species of man 
I'm, I might just call him quits. Lord, just take me home right now. Because you know a, a UFO or an alien is going to pop up soon. It has to. It's only right. I just wait. Every time I watch the news, I think of something. It says something new is going to happen this week. I already know it. When something doesn't happen, I'm more shot now. <laughs> and and the, the last thing I wanted to get out of you, man, and I've been wanting this too. You know a lot of Miami t- fans, they've been talking dirt on Twitter, especially about recruiting. Miami fans, yeah. Florida fans going at it. Do you have anything to tell these Miami fans? Then shut them right, up. Listen, to, 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 listen to, to Miami. This is the real you speaking, the real you, the University of Florida. We don't play those recruiting games. The la- y'all say we scared of you guys, but let me ask y'all this question. The last two out of three times, who won those games? Two out of the last three, who won those games? The last time we smacked y'all in the mouth in Orlando, y'all had some boring comedians getting online. Y'all can't even keep recruits. recruits ain't, I'm not going to say that because I want to be too negative. <laughs> but the next time we run into y'all, just remember who owns Dade County. Who was the last team to win in Dade County? The Florida Gators in the Orange Bowl. We run Miami. We run Tallahassee. We stopped through Tampa because USF don't even really matter. FAU is the best school in 305 right now. Okay? So you're not even on our level. If you ain't a Gator, you still Gator bait. Josh Bray said it. That's right. That's the recruiting pitch for all you recruits out there, too. Think about going to yeah, Miami. Yeah. yeah, all you recruits. Are you, t- are you tired of your coach standing in your videos trying to be rappers? Are you tired of your coach taking all the clout? Come to the University of Florida where everybody's a winner. And everything you wear is Jordan logo brand. We the logo now. Stop debating. Stop waiting. Come Gator baiting. I might get that, I might get that trademark. Stop waiting and come Gator baiting. That's me. That's all Josh Bray. I like it. So uh, my final question for you, Josh, and, and this might be the most important question you'll ever be asked. Yes, sir. What burger is the best and why is it Whataburger? No, 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 no. Okay, 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 okay. Whataburger was the absolute best burger I've ever tasted in my life when I went and did a show in Houston. And it was the best burger. It made me feel, if I had to be pregnant to carry a Whataburger, I would. And I sat down and I tasted a Culver's burger. Culver's burgers are the absolute best, well-cooked, well-prepared, well-administered burger in the history of history. And if you don't believe me, I'll buy you your next five Culver's burgers. And, and, and if you I still say to, Whataburger is better, I buy you a burger every month for the rest of the year on Josh Prey. I have to agree that Culver's does make a fine burger. It's better than Whataburger, man. I'm sorry. And I love Whataburger. I, I was doing some stuff with Whataburger, but Culver's, no. Sorry. What happened to Fuddruckers? I don't see many of those around anymore. I don't, I don't, uh, they, I don't think nobody in history. Is there a Fuddruckers in Florida? I don't know. Uh, I'm in Georgia. I've in a long time. We had, I don't think it's a foot ruckus in Florida. The closest thing to Waterburger and Culver's to me is Five Guys. Five Guys makes a, a, a good burger, but you got to give them your whole stimulus check to avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> I took out a second mortgage to feed the family with Five Guys the other day. Yes, go get a burger and fry at Five Guys, and you're going to have your lights off by the end of the night. I promise. Well... Josh, it's been fun having you on, man. Uh, do you have any other advice for these Florida Gator fans about the recruiting or about this year coming up? Get us all pumped, man. Listen, we want to get pumped. To, 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 all, to, all Florida, to all Florida fans, this is Josh Bray speaking, the unofficial ambassador of the University of Florida. Mr. Left on the right, do it right, and we going to fight. Be cool, chill. We are in a great position. We got everybody coming back. It's championship of bus bus right now. If we build it, they will come, and Dan Mullen is building it. So we on our way. 2020, 
to 2020 we're never gonna be a great year if you ain't a gator you gator bait it's great to be a florida gator that's right all right josh can you uh tell our listeners where they can find you yeah if you um if you want to follow me you can follow me on youtube facebook instagram tiktok even that email at Josh Prey. Everything is Josh Prey, spelled correctly. I got 35 and I, I matured. My, my screen name is no longer Big Meat 5563Cloud95. <laughs> it's just Josh Prey, spelled correctly. Thank you so much. And that's with a check mark, too. With the check mark. <laughs> with the blue check mark, verified. <laughs> All right, Josh, man. Thanks for joining us on the uh, Gridiron Growl podcast, man. I hope you have a great rest of your day, man. Thank you so much. Tell your wife I said thank you for being a fan. <laughs> All right, man. I will. Thanks, man. Later. Josh, it's a pleasure. That was Josh Prey, a uh, YouTube influencer. Always a uh, funny dude, man. Funny, positive dude. And I like I like funny and positive vibes. So if you 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 ever having like a terrible day, uh, look up Josh Prey on YouTube. Uh, don't you agree, Mike? Absolutely. And and there's just you know there, there's healing and laughter, and and there's so much negativity and and reasons to be stressed out or worried in the world today it's good to take a moment and be able to talk to somebody like josh who can put things in perspective and put a smile on your face exactly and uh i couldn't agree more and with that being said speaking of positivity and good energy and good vibes this next guest is a uf alum by the name of mike aloza he is the basis for the band felicity as he shares his fond memories at the university of florida as he attended from 2005 all the way to 2009. Yes, the glory years. Let's go ahead and get it going with Mike Aloza. We got Mike Aloza, bass player from the band Felicity, which is the theme that you heard at the beginning of this podcast. He's also a UF alum. Mike, I hope you're surviving these weird times as we all are. Oh yeah, it's been uh, it's been very interesting to say the least. But I'm hanging in there and um, you know doing what I can to stay busy and still doing music stuff. And you know, me and the band we're we're doing everything we can just to just to keep the train moving in the midst of the pandemic. Right, and uh, it's like it's like me, you know, when you're young and you see like you see like for me it was like Kiss and all those other kind of bands like that. When I was young, I've always was like, man, I want to be in a band and. Like yeah. my favorite thing was to play the drums. I wanted to, I wanted to beat the crap out of something. So I, oh, I love the drums. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I always dreamed of being a drum player, but I never touched a drum one time in my whole entire life. <laughs> but, uh, oh, you got, you got to get on the kit at least once. That was, um, that was actually my first, my first instrument um, that I was exposed to when I was like five years old in my, um, my, my family's like, I don't know, escape house, whatever it was just like, they had a drum set in the basement and I, and I, vividly one of my earliest memories just sitting on the kit my feet couldn't even touch the ground because of the the throne was too high and i just remember like hitting drums but not understanding what rhythm or the symbols were and just being in awe of this thing and and then i I obviously am playing bass for felicity so it's not like drumming became the thing but the way i describe it um i can still do very good like medium guitar hero level drumming Oh, so really? if yeah. it's something, yeah, if it's like just holding the beat, basic two and the four, I can do that. But once all the syncopation starts happening, ah, it all goes out the window. Yeah, I was. You always dream, especially like when you're a kid. You always dream of either being like the lead singer. I love the drums, but there's no way I could sing. They're, yeah, I don't have oh, to watch that. Oh <laughs> when you're the lead singer, you you have the spotlight. 
you have um, like most of the fan base doesn't really care too much about the instrumentation. Of course, there are musicians who will always, the fans of your band that are musicians will appreciate the art of, of the, what the instruments are doing. But most of your audience is people who look for the lyrics, listen to the singer, and, and that's their, um, that's their uh, way of being into the band. And that is a lot of pressure. It's a big spotlight. And I'm glad I don't have that responsibility. <laughs> All right. I, I bet there's a lot of cardio in drumming too. <laughs> oh my gosh yes I like, bet you're drenched drummers, in sweat <laughs> yeah you're, if, when you do it right and you're doing all the performing stuff like spinning the sticks standing up and hitting on the on the right beat like you can probably burn through 800 calories on but but i have to say if um you know if you've seen any videos of felicity playing or um anyone you know checks out youtube and finds us um i, I try to stay very active as well because um one one motto that the uh the drummer for my original band at uf which which i can tell you about later um, he was always like, you don't go to, to hear the band when you check out a show, you go to see the band because you can always hear the band in your car, throw the CD in, whatever. But when you go, you want to see something and right. you want to remember something from that band. And, and that's just, um, that's why I perform with the energy that I perform with because it's a million bass players out there. I'd rather stand out for some performance reasons since, um, I'm not going to be a flea level player right. or, uh, or a less clay pool, but I'm going to do what I can to move around. Well, that actually leads me into my first question anyway. I was going to ask you what got you started or interested in the music industry. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, well, you know, it, it's it's funny. Like, when I was thinking about, you know, where, where did everything begin? Um, when I was uh, 17, that's when I actually picked up the bass. So I was a little late to that game. Mm -hmm. But for my entire time at UF and probably until I was in my mid-20s, my focus was just can I be a functional band member and can I create music? And the idea of actually being in the industry wasn't even crossing my mind because I was just so new to the game and, and kind of figuring out just how to be a musician, how to be a functional band member. And, and I met my first band, um, my first bandmates when I was in my freshman year at UF. And, um, and that band existed for, um, through the entirety of UF. And then we all moved to Orlando and kept things going for about another four years. But during that time, and when I reflect on that time now, um, we were not as industry minded as, um, as Felicity is. So it's kind of like those years were spent learning how to be a, a functional band member and um and once that band came to an end and and i was kind of in this limbo phase of oh geez i haven't been in music for a while i kind of right. want to get back into a band again and um and when i found you know it's funny with felicity people ask how'd you guys meet each other we are 100 percent a craigslist band oh like, seriously the, yeah it's so funny like the um the singer and the lead or the rhythm guitar player they had uh, they had met before and they started everything but then craigslist posts galore to get the the, the original drummer and then i was found and, and all of that and, and our uh, lead guitarist corey um so so it wasn't until my mid-20s when i when i discovered felicity on a craigslist where um i went over to their house and we all sat down and talked and i realized these guys are about the industry and how how do we make it in the industry and it's um and it's not necessarily about how well do you play your your instrument? It's it's how hard you're going to work. So so it's 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 funny how my entire time at UF was just like this this learning phase and and kind of getting my feet wet a little bit. And I had no idea that I was just scratching the surface of what it means to be um, a, a professional musician someday. So um, I guess what kind of inspired me 
is uh, is just everyone else in the band being so focused on, okay, how do we get from point A to point B where our fan base is growing? We're playing bigger shows. We're building more connections. And, and then all the pieces just started falling into place. Yeah, uh, that's it, it's just amazing how things like that. And you mentioned Craigslist. Now it's so much easier to find anybody. Uh, they got sites like, like yeah. Fiverr and things like that just so you can find talent. But yeah, nobody yeah. will ever know the struggle in the past of Craigslist. Oh my and, god! And, yeah, and yeah. We didn't have <laughs> half the things we got now. I know, I know. It's so funny. Like the probably newer bands are, are networking through other social media apps, but Craigslist was the way to find bands and find gigs and find instruments. And um, two of my bases I bought off of Craigslist. So I mean, it's just that was the way. And then things have now changed. <laughs> and that, now MySpace used to be uh, uh, the new was the Facebook back then. Now MySpace is more band related. And and if you've noticed it through, uh, I, I I went there the other day and I'm like, Matt, it's just a lot of music now. It's it's basically all music oh. promotion and bands and. That's have. how it originally was. It was, it was originally supposed to be that. That yeah. was the focus of the original MySpace. But then, uh, then it got kind of weird for a while. And <laughs> good to know it's back to normal. I actually haven't checked out MySpace in, in a minute, but um, I'll have to. I'll have to do that. And Tom sold it, and became a multimillionaire. That's why. <laughs> made the right move. He made right. Probably the first, yeah, the best move he could have made with MySpace. <laughs> so you said you attended UF. Uh, what years did you attend UF? And if you, you know, what was your favorite memories there? Yeah, man. So I was at UF for what will, I mean, I would bet a lot of money that there will be no crazier four-year period than 2005 to 2009. Oh, wow. And those were the exact years that I was there. So, um, so I show up freshman year, we win basketball. And, um, and then my senior year, it's the second football win. And, uh, and, and obviously the, um, the football, the, the first football win, uh, in 2006 with, with both basketball championships, sandwiching it, like it was, it, it was incredible. It was just to be around during that time when, uh, when Tebow was there and just the, the hype was as, as crazy as it had ever been. UF is at the top of the party school charts. Like yeah. it was, it was like the best window of time to probably be at that school. Um, and I, I mean, I, I hope it gets back to that level again and, and that they can get there. But I mean, how, how do you top the Tebow era? That's that's the thing. <laughs> that 2008 team, and they're still saying that that was one of the best college football teams of like all time, yeah. the 2008 yeah. team. Uh, if you go to any magazine, they usually any every magazine I have, I have read or I've, any article I've read, they've had that 2008 team either at number one or number two. And it was like with the... Because it was, they were battling with the USC teams that Pete Carroll used to have. Yeah. So it was between yep, USC yep, yep. and uh, Florida. But Florida's always on that list, and Tim Tebow's still one of the number one college football players of all time. So exactly, I mean, and just he he knew how to rally the troops. He knew how to go on the field and get the job done. Um, I still, and actually, this is uh, the the um, the promise. His his famous line after the um, Ole Miss game where they lost. Mm -hmm. um, I have that framed on my wall, just like a a glorifying like uh, picture from Sports Illustrated of Tebow, and then the entire promise is there. And 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 I'll read that. And, and I also coach volleyball, um, so like I'll show my my players that that a quote from Tebow and just talk about how it inspired the team and they didn't lose another game. They dominated everybody. And, and just to, to be there and witness such a, such a prolific player. It's obviously, it's a shame that his uh, pro career did not go in the direction that we right. all hoped, but the, the memories from that time at UF will just be, I mean, for forever immortalized in, um, in, in just the UF history. 
And, and what was cool about that uh, speech, he had, he had did an interview with Urban Meyer uh, recently, and he said that his speech, he wasn't going to go out and say, we're going to be undefeated the rest of the season because he didn't want it to, you know, we can't do that. But he said, I'm going to promise I will try as hard as I can. And, you know, the whole, the, everybody knows the speech. Oh, yeah. You're, you, will, you will never see another player work as hard. You will never see yeah. another player push his team as hard. Oh, my gosh. It's just, it gives me chills thinking about it because what's funny is when I went to the Ole Miss game the, the previous night, I was, at a, I was at a party, so I was a little hungover when I was at the game. <laughs> and it was really, really hot. It was a noon game. And I just remember the environment of like, oh, yeah, it's Ole Miss. We got this. Yeah, this is fine. Oh, I mean, it's the fourth quarter and we need to score right now. Oh, this is fine. Yeah, we got this. And then we didn't. Yeah. And just walking out of the stadium, everyone's defeated. Everyone's just low. And then that interview came out and it's like, all right, let's get back on track. Let's see what we can do. And I mean, you know the rest. <laughs> and you could tell that speech was authentic too. He wasn't just, oh, yeah. he wasn't going up there just saying something so everybody would calm down. He like, you could see how upset yeah. he was. It looked like he was about to cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really yeah, did. Okay. <laughs> he was upset. And the, um, and the, uh, the original singer of my, my first band, he was an athletic trainer. Um, and he didn't even really have an interest in football. He just happened to get placed with the 2016 and um and and got to stay with the entire football program so he was around tebow in the locker room and he would say like what you think tebow is doing in there to rally everyone together is exactly what he's doing just everyone listens and follows and and just believes in him and just just to hear that from my my the singer of my band telling me like you know we got we got a, a, a probably one of the best leaders in college football i mean you can't bet against him when you when you know you have that no uh every time tebow stepped out there on the field, I always thought we could win, like, no matter yeah. what. And, I mean, obviously that team had a lot of talent, too. So, I mean. They uh, did. Oh, no, he was, I mean, he had Percy Harvin. You, I mean, you, you have somebody who's, like, going to gain positive yardage if he touches the ball. Right. I mean, it's, 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 he, he had the weapons around him. But you, you can have, I mean, and from coaching volleyball, I've actually had some really strong players, some great weapons. But if you don't have that core leadership where your team captain can just bring everyone together, unify everybody when your emotions are down, it doesn't matter how strong your weapons are. You can still lose a game. I mean, we can, you can think of um, when Boise State upset Oklahoma with the Statue, Statue of Liberty. Liberty yeah. to, I mean, and, and that prime example of that right there where leadership and believing goes, goes a long way. I remember that game. I remember watching that game, and uh, they were going to go for two, and I was like, oh, man, they could either lose this or – and yeah. I actually thought I actually <laughs> thought he threw the ball. And then, like, even the cameraman, you could see the cameraman pan over. Mm-hmm. It, it actually tricked him, too. And then yeah. that guy, he runs in for the touchdown. I'm like, oh, my God. And I had to, like – I had back then, you couldn't really – I don't think we had DVRs or anything. You had to, like, no, <laughs> to, like yeah, record yeah. it and <laughs> rewind it again. But, yeah, yeah that then, was a good game. Yeah, and then the receiver goes and proposes to his girlfriend, who's a cheerleader. I think like it's yeah. just a, <laughs> such a crazy game, um, but yeah, like that time at UF, just being around that environment was um, obviously so many fond memories come from uh, partying on the University Ave when we've won, and and in fact, probably the craziest street party was that first basketball win because the school hadn't experienced a win in in probably almost. A, in the 90s they, with, with winning football in 96 so yeah about 10 years since the last championship yeah. level win and um i got into uh, my buddy's car we were living at lakeside at the time and he's like let's go by the odom let's go to the streets let's ride let's have some fun i mean we're 18 19 we're just gonna go have fun and as we're driving by the odom and people start filing out right after we won we hopped in the car 
he starts honking his horn. I'm sticking my head out the window yelling. <laughs> People started jumping on top of the car oh, wow. as we drove down and just mentally parked somewhere. And I remember the streets were crowded. I remember the dude who shimmied up the light pole and got to the very top and he's waving the flag. And, and that dude is the the reason why they grease all the light poles across the country now during championship <laughs> wins. <laughs> and then, and I'll never forget this. Um, there was a, a, a mob of people who were trying to tip a car and, and people kept saying like, let's tip the car, let's tip the car. And then some dude gets in the middle. And he's like, no, we can't do this. This is not how we behave. <laughs> and then they did not tip the car, but it's just like, it reached that level of, of intensity. And just to, to be uh to be 18 and see that happen at your school, Jeez, so much fun. No, so in my so luck, fun. that would probably be my car. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh -huh. um, and I was also trying to think, like, what music memories come from UF? And and I really thought of a good one. And it's um, it's a shame he isn't around anymore. But um, there's a there was a venue called Backstage Lounge. I, were you ever familiar with uh with that venue? Uh, no, I actually, I I don't think I've ever been. It, Okay, it's it's um it's basically your your mid tier kind of venue, not like the smallest place, not the biggest place. The problem with it was it was located kind of far down Main Street and Southwest, I think thirteenth. So it's mm -hmm. kind of away from the heart of where all the action is. But um the the guy who was the stage manager, promoter, all of it, his name was Ed Walt Walt Waldrick. Um and he's from I think just Alachua. Um, and he, he unfortunately passed away about five, six years ago. But but this guy was like the anchor of the music scene, the up and coming music scene of Gainesville. And he just knew all of the smaller bands that were trying to come together. He gave my band um, our first show and just he was so supportive of us. And, and he just believed in what we could do, what I could do, because I always kind of kept up with him. And uh, and I'll never forget the every show we played there. He would run the lights and he would run um, a series of three camera angles during your show. And that's, it's a lot for one dude to, to run. Right. But he, he would be able to turn it into a DVD and give you the DVD at the end of the show. So every single show we played there, we would pick up a DVD. We would take it home. We would pop it in and watch it and just go, okay, that stage move looked cool. That stage move looked kind of stupid. That song sounded good. And we were able to like – watch game footage the way nfl players would probably watch game footage and refine their game and we did that with our ability to perform on stage and and just all the memories of interacting with ed and and like in when when i was there he was probably in his um mid to late 60s at that point in time so he had toured he had been around he was looking to just kind of settle down with his life and and help out and uh, feed wisdom to young and upcoming bands probably the best show though do you remember the band trust company at all yeah i remember trust company okay so so um when they had put out their second album they did a tour and they came down to gainesville and uh and ed called me and he's like dude trust company's coming through do you want to open for them you have to tell me right now and at that point in time our guitar player had actually stepped away from the band to pursue his masters whatever and he was in tampa we hadn't heard from him in, in, in a while i have never had a human being text me back faster when i texted the guitar player and said yo you want to open for trust company boom he's like when and, and <laughs> uh, we we uh we it was just us and trust company and we had a pretty good show but i remember i always remember being on stage and seeing the lead singer and the lead guitar player just standing in the back watching us arms folded just paying attention like staring at us mm. and not in like a not in like a sizing us up kind of way just 
appreciating what we were doing. And, and after the set, they came up to us and said, guys, you know, we, we've played with a lot of bands, but, but you guys really have something here. You're doing a great job. Like, keep it up. Keep pushing. Great sound. And, and just words of encouragement from a band like Trust Company. Um, it just it, it just resonated with us for years after that. And of course, they put on a hell of a show right after us and, and put us to shame. But it was still uh, <laughs> still just such a cool memory. And, and, and Ed hooked all of that up. And, you know, just just to think of um, the, the footage that we were able to watch, the encouragement that he gave us and and where I am today with Felicity. I mean, I, I have to give so much of those props to Ed and, and what he did for us. And, and he, he passed away from old age. He was in his 70s. And, you know, it's it's kind of what happens, unfortunately. But right. um, since since then, Backstage Lounge has closed. And um, the Gainesville scene is, I guess, in a different direction. I unfortunately haven't played. Felicity hasn't played a show up there in um, now a year and a half to two years. So um, and the last time we were there, we were at the Atlantic. So pretty standard venue, I guess. Um, but yeah, just that, that was probably one of the coolest music memories for my time at UF, just meeting Ed and, and getting my, uh, getting my first shows out of the way and, and just learning a lot. Yeah. That it's funny that you say that because we have sort of, it's kind of sort of the same concept we have a place down in Atlanta. It's called 10 high and, uh, okay. it's basically a band's on stage, you know, drummer, guitars, basses, all that, they're all on stage, and you can go up there and ask them. They have a list of songs that they can play, and you can go up there and sing while they're doing it. It's pretty cool. A lot of people go up there, get drunk, and start singing. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, yeah. Uh, Chris Jericho came there one time with his band, Fozzie. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, my friend actually was there. He was taking pictures of Chris Jericho on stage uh, singing. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah, super cool. cool. We, we, we've, seen, um, we've seen a few bands like that, um, like the, what's it called? Um... It's like the emo night kind of bands where you you can you can see that entire catalog of the songs they can play and and there's and it's a lot of just early two thousand stuff mm-hmm. um, and Felicity uh, three years ago now we did the Warped Rewind at Sea cruise which was um, through Warp Tour we were selected to go on a cruise ship and play shows for like three days and one of the highlight events every night was the um, the emo karaoke band that would come on stage and you would have a three ring binder of the hundreds of songs they knew how to play and you could select anything from Hawthorne Heights, the story of the year, to yellow card and basically be the lead singer of, of that band. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, they, it's the same concept down here. I remember the first time I was there, I was like, uh, you want to get on stage? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And then about three, four <laughs> drinks later, then I'm like, yeah, I'll get up there. Yeah, let me sing yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you got to loosen up a little bit before you do it and i mean i still haven't done something like that I've, I've done my fair share of karaoke but never really singing as the front of a band right um, it's 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 just a whole different animal when you're doing that it's pretty intimidating too because uh you want to get up there but then when you start to get up there you're like oh man this is uh, i'm about to be singing in front of a whole bunch of people now yeah so. <laughs> and, and most of them aren't going to be musicians so they're only going to be listening to my voice and, right. and like judging my voice yeah <laughs> and and it's funny like when I play bass, I'll look out at the audience and I'll make eye contact with people. And 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 when 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 you've played songs hundreds and hundreds of times, your your mind can wander when you're on stage. And I'll have little like side thoughts where I'm playing and I'm rocking out. I'm thinking like, I wonder if I've been sweating on the people up front when I rock my head too much. <laughs> I should probably be aware of that. <laughs> or like 
what's that kid in the back doing just standing there? He looks bored. Let me try to stare at him until he gets into it more. Like all those thoughts start running through your head. As the lead singer, you're you're spitting words constantly. You got everyone's like staring at you. I can't even imagine what you would be thinking of just to to stay so present with all of that. And that's very nerve wracking for me. I don't think I could ever do it. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It actually takes special talent to be able to just not even be like a lead singer of a group, but have to deal with all of that, like the anxiety of the crowd and, and what happens if you screw up a lyric or, yeah. or, or, or something like that. I, I could imagine what it is like for the lead singer of a group. Mm-hmm. And, and da- Damien, the lead singer of Felicity, he has done such a great job over the years of just looking at other front men, um, emulating their behaviors, listening to us, give him constructive criticism. And, and there were times in the very beginning where I thought, all right, he's doing a good job, but there's room for improvement. And now it's like, you know, what isn't he going to do on stage because he's learned all of those roles? And 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 that's one of the things to really get into the industry more and, and make your band grow. You have to be willing to ask your your bandmates some constructive criticism so that you can get better. And and then you really have to reflect on yourself and think, this band is bigger than me. It's it's bigger than every individual member. What can I do to maximize my contribution to the band and um and damien took vocal lessons he um watched so many videos on on just other musicians other lead singers performing and really honed his skill and 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 that's the kind of hard work that i was talking about before it doesn't matter how um how well you play your instrument you know and like you don't have to be the best singer ever where you're going to be on the voice but if you if you have energy and you sound like a unifying uh voice with your band everything takes care of itself at that point yeah constructive criticism is some of the best criticism that you'll ever get uh, hard to accept sometimes but once you learn how to take it it's um it's the fastest way to improve and and those dvds that ed gave us would would have those constructive criticism moments (laughs) i actually remembered a really funny one um i don't do this anymore but i know how to flip my bass around my my body um and and yeah and and the the very first time i did it i was not on stage i was just practicing in the backyard i didn't quite realize that you need very very good strap locks on on your base so that the strap doesn't detach. Right. So I throw the base, it makes it right here, and then it just goes whoop and just shoots <laughs> all the way back. And I'm like, okay, we don't want to do that on stage next week. So I got good strap locks and uh and I remember going for the the base flip and what I goofed up was keeping my legs too far apart. So my height was just a little lower and the very top of the headstock just grazed the ground as it came around. So instead of the base returning to the normal position, it was like stuck down here. So I have to just like pick it up and be like, all right, that looks kind of cool. Let me keep doing that move. Kind of just like smoothly bring it up. (laughs) Like it was supposed to be done on purpose. (laughs) But, but we have that moment caught on that video. So I knew it was coming. And when we saw it, we like paused it, rewound it. We're like, okay, what went wrong? Why did it not execute properly? And we're like, oh shit, your, your feet were too far apart. You weren't tall enough. So it's like little things like that, where you embrace the, the goof up, you laugh about it, you joke about it with your bandmates, and then you kind of learn and grow from it. But at this point in time, I actually don't do any more bass slips because my bass back then was lighter. And the one I have now is a little heavier. And it's just, it's not a stage move that you got to do now to really get people staring at you. You can, you can do many other things. <laughs> right. It, it would, my head would fly off if I tried that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also, a small yeah. guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> so is Flea and he can do it too. But yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I get it. <laughs> well, Mike, it, 
thanks a lot for joining us today. And also, thank you for allowing us to, obviously, like I said, you use Burn the World as our official theme for the Gridiron Growl podcast. Oh, uh, uh, just tell everybody where they can find you and Felicity, man. Of course, of course. So um, we are on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok. Um, everything is streamed. Our Instagram handle is at WeArFelicity. That is the same as Twitter, at WeArFelicity. And um, same thing with Facebook. But you could also put Felicity Band in, and, and that will pop up too. So um, we are everywhere, and our music is on Spotify, Pandora, SoundCloud, all of those platforms. Just uh, put in Felicity in all capital letters, or uh, we are Felicity, and everything will pop up. And uh, Oh, and of course, on YouTube as well, there is a slew of music videos that we've recorded over the years. And same thing, we are Felicity is the, is the tag for all of it. All right, Mike. Thanks a lot, man, for joining us, man. Oh, I appreciate. It. Thanks for having me. I, hey, great, it is, great time. as a matter of fact, we got to do. You, we got to do this again, man. Uh, oh, great interview. And, and 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 definitely once um we we kind of get the ball rolling on what our new album is going to do. Which another shameless plug right now. The new album is <laughs> fire, fire beyond fire, and it's going to be a full uh full full album, ten songs. There's there's flow, there's theming, the lyrical content is rich, and we put a lot of thought into it, and and we just we want to share it with everybody because when you look at our catalog that's on Spotify right now, it's great, but but this album is just leaps and bounds from where we were to to where we're going to be right now, and um, 2021 will be probably the year when it is released, but we might trickle things out here and there, we might kind of tease some things, and you know if people are asking for it, we might we might uh, appease them a little bit. But I really appreciate, appreciate you having me on today and using Burn the World and everything. So thanks a lot. And we thank Michael Loza and the band Felicity for giving us this fire theme song called Burn the World for the Gridiron Growl podcast. I don't know about you, Mikey, but uh, this is a pretty good debut podcast, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I think this has been a great show. We've had a lot of great interviews, and I'm really looking forward to our next show. And with that being said, that will do it for this episode of the Gridiron Growl podcast. I want to thank Graham Hall, Josh Prey, and Michael Loza for joining us today. Remember to check out Felicity on YouTube and other social media platforms. This song is called Burn the World. Tune in next week for the next episode of the Gridiron Growl podcast. And remember, folks, in all kinds of weather, we don't just stick together. We keep it together.